Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. How are we doing? No! Oh, life is over. No, it's okay. No, you didn't have to. You didn't have, thank you so much. Appreciate it. If I drop it again, you think it? No, honestly, no. no. <laughs> How's everyone doing this morning? Doing all right? Doing good? Don't worry. I didn't forget about the people watching online. Big, quick high five to you guys. Thank you for joining us. Uh, real quick, just really, really quick. If you are brand new to Christ Fellowship, if it's your first time here, whether in person or online, you have joined us at like the upstart of something very, very amazing. You have joined us during a season where God wants to do something super special, not just in your life, but through your life as well. And the way that God wants to do that has to do with one very powerful word, one very powerful word. And that word is dwell. The word is dwell. Throughout this whole year, throughout this whole year and maybe even beyond that, which is the goal, we are going to be learning how we can live in the shelter of the Most High with God. We're going to be learning what that actually means. And we're going to be learning how to live that out and how to recognize that through our day to day. And especially through his word. Because dwelling in the presence of God is something super special and very amazing. And last week, Pastor Debbie, if you were here last week, last week, Pastor Debbie brought us through the book of Leviticus. And we had an incredible moment right here at the altar where we were literally dwelling in the presence of God through worship. It was amazing. It was intimate. It was deep. God was definitely moving. I'm sorry if you missed it and you weren't here last week. And as I was praying this week, I was praying for what God wanted to speak to every single one of us through the book of Numbers, because that's the book that we're going to be in today, this morning. But I was praying really, really hard. I was like, God, what do you want me to communicate to the people? What is your heart saying? What, are you, what do you want the people to know about you, God? So that way we can draw closer to you. So that way we can be more intimate with you. So that way we can dwell in your, in your presence with you. And God is funny. He gave me a picture of these five images. Now, these five images at first glance, when you see them, they're going to look like they have nothing to do with each other. But if you just bear with me a couple of seconds, I promise you, you will see what God is talking about. Now, the first image is this right here. I'm not sure if you guys can really see it, but how many of you know who that is? Oh, snap, we have comic book fans in the building. Yes, that's Juggernaut, right? Juggernaut is an X-Men. He is in the Marvel comics. He's been in a couple of movies as well. Now, a really cool thing that I want to mention about Juggernaut is that we all can obviously see what his superpower is. I mean, can anybody guess what it is? He's strong. I mean, look at the guy. He has muscles upon muscles. 
The guy's arm is the size of my torso. It's crazy, right? But a small, little-known fact is that Juggernaut has a second power that not too many people know about, and this is what it is. The moment he starts to move, he can't be stopped. The moment he starts to gain momentum in any direction that he's going in, there's no wall, no barrier, or no barricade that can halt his momentum. Juggernaut is just that cool. As you can see right now, he's actually breaking through a wall as if it's a piece of paper. It's that easy. Why? Because you can't stop the juggernaut. The second picture that I want to share with you guys, and I think a lot of you will probably recognize who this person is. Who's this right here? The second picture. Who's that? It's Michael Jordan. It's the greatest NBA basketball player of all time. I don't care what you say about LeBron. Debate me right now. Debate me. Number six, can't compare to number 23. I don't care what you say. You can't be in the finals 10 times and only win four. Sorry. Sorry. Doesn't happen. But this is the greatest NBA player of all time. This is my, actually, this shot, this, actually, this picture is actually super famous. This is Jordan's last shot in a Chicago Bulls uniform. It was the NBA finals, and he was taking this shot with six seconds left on the clock, and they were down by one. And it was to win his sixth NBA championship. By the way, Jordan went 6-0 in the finals. <clears throat> the goat. Just wanted to point that out. This shot went. They won the game. They won the game, and Jordan won his sixth NBA championship. Michael Jordan is considered one of, if not the most unstoppable player who has ever lived. Larry Bird, who played on the Celtics, he was a legend in his own right. He said this about Michael Jordan. He said, it's just God disguised as Michael Jordan. (laughs) Now, obviously, that's blasphemy. You can't say things like that because God is up here. Jordan is down there. But Larry Bird was giving us an insight as to what other players thought about Michael Jordan. You simply could not stop Mike from scoring. If he wanted to score, he was going to. And there was nothing that you can do about it. The third pick, I want to see if you guys recognize what this picture shows. Let's see if it shows up. What, does anybody know what that is? Apples, well, what are they doing? They're falling. Yes. How many of you are hungry right now? Not for apples. I know that. If Pastor Carlos is up here. You'd be hungry for some friend need or something like that. Know that for a fact. Where's PC? There he is. <laughs> Yo. Going <laughs> Yuka. Yo. Right? But listen, these are a picture of apples that are falling. They give Sir Isaac Newton this credit as if he invented it or something like that. He didn't invent it. God, God, God created it. Isaac Newton just discovered it. Of course, what I'm talking about is gravity. Gravity. And gravity in its most simplest form is this. Whatever goes up must do what? Come down. That's what gravity is. It's one of those things that you can't prevent from happening no matter how hard you try. In fact, gravity is the thing that's keeping you in your chair and in and your chair on the ground right now. Without it, we'd be floating around aimlessly in this, in this room right now. We'd be all over the place. I'd be talking to you guys like this. That's how I'd be talking to you guys. I, I'd probably you know, upside down, same way too, just the same. But you can't prevent it. It's happening whether you like it or not. Gravity cannot be stopped. The fourth thing that I want to share with you guys is something that I think we all wish we could get rid of, but we can't. No matter how hard we try, 
We can't. And this is what it is. How do you know what that is? Yeah, bills a little bit, but I'm more, more on the lesser side. Junk mail. Somebody said it over here. Junk mail. It's junk mail. No matter how hard you try, you can't get rid of junk mail. Whether it's digital or physical, for some odd reason, it just keeps filling up our mailboxes at home, and it fills up our mailboxes on our phones. We can spam it as much as we want. We can block it as much as we want. We can show up to the post office and say, hey, please stop sending me this letter. And guess what? Two days later, boom, there it is, right back in your mailbox. Junk mail. You can't stop junk mail. Sorry. It's inevitable. You will get junk mail. And last but not least, instead of a picture, I actually had the ushers hand it to you as you guys were walking in. How many of you know what this is? It's a candle. Not just any candle. It's a a birthday candle. I knew you guys would get it. It's a birthday candle. This is going to be a really tough one, okay? It's a birthday candle. No matter what you do about your birthday, every year you have one. Every year you have one. And I hate to say this, whether or not you want it, it's on the way. I'm looking at you, ladies. Listen, I'm going to say this real quick before I get into the doghouse, okay? You can only be 32 so many times. I'm just saying. If you're 32 for the next five years, the math doesn't add up. Something's wrong there. How old are you this year? I'm 32. Next year, how old are you this year? I'm 32. Wait a minute. Does actually, (laughs) this is a complete side note. It's not in my message. My wife, she's a teacher, right? Her students are constantly trying to guess her age. I'm not going to tell you guys because then I'll be in the doghouse. But they are constantly trying to guess her age because birthdays are just one of those things, right? But... Birthdays are something that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, every year on the same day that you were born, you are, we are, a year older. We can't stop it. Now, out of all the things that I just spoke about, what is the one thing that they all have in common? They're unstoppable. You're right. They can't be stopped. And as I was reading through the book of Numbers, it became so clear that there is something else that cannot be stopped. There is something else that the moment it starts moving, there is no barrier, no wall, no barricade that can halt its momentum. There is something else that is completely unstoppable, that it can't be prevented. It's inevitable. It's one of those things that no matter how hard you try, you just can't. Stop it. And that thing is God's plan. Not the Drake song. Some of you who know that song need to repent. No, I'm just, no, 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 no. But it's God's plan. You cannot stop God's plan. And there is a verse in Proverbs that I think really gives us a good understanding of what that really means. It says this in Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That word purpose in the original Hebrew, it means counsel. It means plan. 
Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's counsel, it is the Lord's plan that prevails. Meaning that regardless of who plans what, how they plan it, how foolproof it may seem, if it's set up against the plans of God, it will not prevail. If it's set up against the will of God, it will not succeed. Why? Because God's plan is unstoppable. You can't hinder it. You can't stop it. But that's not to say that people haven't tried. People have tried. In 1776, there was a man by the name of Voltaire. Now, I can't lie. That name is actually pretty cool. I wish I had that name. I wish I had the name Voltaire. Edgardo Voltaire. That just, yo, that sounds dope. But it sounds like something out of a Harry Potter book, so it's blasphemy. Can't have it, right? There was a man by the name of Voltaire in 1776. He said this, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. It took 12 men to start Christianity. One will destroy it. Now, I'm not sure if he was talking about himself or somebody else that was going to come along the way. But what he was really saying was that this book was not going to exist in anybody's house, was not going to exist online. What he was saying was this, this book was really going to be something that was looked upon in a museum as something that was relevant at one point, but is no longer relevant at all. The only way you would get to see one of these would be in a museum. That's what he meant. He meant that this movement at some point in time was going to cease to exist, that it was going to stop. Obviously, Voltaire was wrong because it's been way more than 100 years. And look at us. We are still here in fellowship. We are still here in relationship with our Savior. We are still here reaching the lost for his kingdom, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are still here serving him. Why? Because you can't stop God's plan. Another person who was very interesting, he went by the name of Robert Ingersoll. He lived during the 1800s, and he said this. In 15 years, I will have this book, the Bible, in the morgue. I was going to have it in the morgue, meaning that he was going to kill this book, that this book was going to be so irrelevant that nobody was going to pay attention to it anymore, that this book was going to lose its, its power, for lack of a better expression. It was going to lose its enthusiasm. It was going to lose its relevancy. It was not going to be noticed by anyone. In 15 years, he said, this book will not matter anymore. Fifteen years later, Ingersoll was the one that was in the morgue. And I love this part. I love this part. After he died, they auctioned off all of his stuff. They auctioned off all of his stuff. And there was a local pastor who lived in that town. And that pastor went to this auction and bought Ingersoll's desk. He brought it home, and he spent the rest of his life writing sermons on it. I wish that would have been me, because I would have done the exact same thing. I love the irony in that. But you see how God works? And why do you think that is? Come on, you know why. Because God's plan can't be what? It can't be what? You can't stop God's plan. You can't. 
And in Moses' time, in the book of Numbers, there was a king by the name of Balak who ruled over Moab who wanted to do this very thing. He wanted to stop God's plan. He wanted to. One day, one day, he looks out of his palace windows and he sees that the Israelites, God's people, are camped out on the plains of Moab, which is his kingdom. He was terrified at the sight of this huge army that was there and that was going to overtake his kingdom. He didn't want to lose his kingdom. He was like, no, 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 hold on. There's this huge army outside my window. I don't want to lose my kingdom. What am I to do? So he sends his people out, his people out, to fetch a well-known diviner. Now, a diviner is like a fortune teller, a card reader, somebody who kind of dabbles in like kind of everything, prophecy, things like that, you know, spiritual things, right? Um, but they're not, they're, not, um, it, they're not adhered to like one, one solo thing. You get me? Like they experience, they experiment all around. But there was a well-known diviner that had a really good reputation of that whatever this diviner said is what would happen. So he went out to go inquire of this person, and his name was Balaam. Now, the reason why he wanted Balaam, because one, his reputation, and two, the curse that he wanted Balaam to put on God's people. Now, he told Balaam, this is the curse that I want you to, 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 to put on God's people. I want you to curse them so that they do, not, they, they do not succeed, and I want you to curse them to lessen their strength and their power. So that way, I can defeat them in battle. That was the curse for them not to succeed, and for them to lose their strength and power so that he could defeat them. So these servants, they go out to go fetch Balaam. And after some really interesting interactions, I can't get into it because it would be a whole entire sermon all on its own, Balaam ends up going all the way to Moab. He makes his place there. Now, when Balaam arrives, he tells the king this, all right, I understand what it is that you want me to do, but this is what I need. I need you to build me seven altars, and I need to sacrifice seven things on these seven altars, and I'm doing that with the hope, with the hope that the Lord would come and talk to me. So the king was like, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. They set up the seven altars, they do the seven sacrifices, the king goes off to the side, and Balaam actually meets with God. God comes down and speaks to Balaam, but he tells him this, Listen, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to tell you what it is that I want you to say, but you can only say what I want you to say. You can't say anything else. You can only speak what I want you to speak. So Balaam's like, okay. He gets the message, and he goes back to the king. And the king's like, hey, what did God say? Did God give you the blessing to curse them and to lessen their strength? Did he do that? And Balaam gives him this word. He says, they're blessed. The people are blessed. In fact, as I'm speaking to you right now, all I can do is speak blessings upon blessings upon blessings upon blessings to them. That's all I am able to do. I can only speak the blessings over God's people. And the king flips out. He's like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, actually, you know what? They're so blessed that, that God told me that they're going to have victory in every battle that they have from this point forward. And the king is flipping. He's like, what do you mean, dude? This is the king's reaction, Numbers 23, 11. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? 
I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. And then Balaam answers, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? And I love the fact that he said that because a lot of times in our lives, I believe that there are certain things that God wants us to say to certain people, but we stay quiet. We stay shut. And these are the very things that God wants us to say to those particular individuals. But instead of saying exactly what God tells us to say, sometimes we might soften the blow. Maybe not say it exactly that way. Or sometimes we may not even say it at all and we'll divert and we'll do something else. But I'm telling you right now, we should speak what the Lord puts in our mouth. We should speak it. And as you can imagine from what we just read, this didn't please the king at all. It didn't. So much so that he took Balaam to a hill that overlooked God's people. He changed locations. He's like, you know what? We did the altar over here and we burned the sacrifices over here, but you're not seeing what I'm up against. Come here, come here, come here. Come to this hill over here. You see this? Now look at this. Look how big that army is. Do you see them now? I need you to curse them for me. I need you to curse them for me. And I find this part so interesting because I firmly believe that this is what we tend to do sometimes too. God has already spoken to us. God has already given us an answer. God has already told us what to do, but we'll still pray about it. God has already told us what to do, but we'll still fast about it. God has given us direction exactly what it is that he wants us to do, but we will still ask about it. Why? Because we are not satisfied with the answer that he gives us. If we pray about something and God says no, we'll be like, "Mm, you know what? I didn't like your answer, God. I'm going to pray until you say yes. God wants us to go left, and we see that he wants us to go left, but then we'll fast about it for a few days because in our hearts, what we really want to do is we really want to go right. And we're like, God, please change your mind because right looks really, really good right now. Left looks a little shady to me because, you know, whatever. But right is what I really want to do. I know you want me to go left, but can I go right? And we do that with the hope that he will change his mind about the answer that he has given us. Which brings me to this point. Sin is what we do when we are not satisfied with God's answer. Sin is what we do when we are not satisfied with God's answer. Because let me tell you something. If God tells you no, but you still want it to be yes, guess what? Now you are outside of his will. Now you're doing what it is that you want to do. You're not doing what God wants you to do. And when that happens, guess what? You're in rebellion. You're rebelling against what God wants you to do. And when you do that, you are in sin. Doesn't matter what it is. A lot of us think of, a lot of us sometimes think that sin is very specific things that the Bible tells us no and what not to do. But if God tells you to go somewhere and you don't do that, guess what? It's sin. All because we're not satisfied with the answer that he gives us. I mean, think about it. That's exactly what the king of Moab was doing. He didn't like the first answer. So he changed locations with the hope that God would change his heart, that God would change his mind. So in this new location, Balaam told him this. 
I need seven altars in this new hilly location that you just gave me. I need seven altars and I need seven sacrifices. And hopefully God will speak to me again. So they do the sacrifices and the king goes away. And God comes down and talks to Balaam. And he tells them this in Numbers 23, 18. He says, look, this is the message I want you to give to the king so that way he knows. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. That's exactly what he told him to say to the king. I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. Meaning you cannot change the plans of God. You cannot change the plans of God. God has blessed his people because that's a part of his plan. He isn't going to change it. I mean, can you imagine this for a second? Can you imagine serving a God that you are able to persuade? Think about that. Can you imagine serving a God that you are able to persuade? Can you, can you imagine if I'm praying for something so hard to happen into my life, but the person over here is praying for the exact opposite, who does God listen to? Who does God listen to? If God has brought something amazing to pass in your life or in my life or in somebody else's life and somebody else fasts for three days for that thing to be taken away, what does God do? Who does he listen to? If we serve a God who's able to be persuaded by our prayers and our fasting and things like that, that is not a God that I want to serve. But praise the Lord that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. God is not a flip-flopping type of God. That's not who he is. If God planned it, if God spoke it, one way or another, it is going to happen. If God said he's going to heal you, that healing is coming. If God said that you are forgiven, you are. If he told you that those family members will bow down to his name, they will. If he gave you a specific calling, you best believe he's carving out the road to get there. If he promised you children, they're on the way. If he's spoken over your marriage saying that it's going to be restored, it will be. If he told you your finances were going to be okay, that your dream job is coming, that promotion is happening. If God said it. It is going to happen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Why? Because you cannot stop God's plan. The king was so unsatisfied that he took Balaam to another place and to another place and to another place. The king did this three more times. He tried to change the heart of God a total of five times. I'm pretty sure if we think right now how many times we've gotten an answer from God, but we've prayed the opposite. I wonder if it's more than five times that we've prayed for God to change his mind in our own lives about something that he has said.
Fortunately, though, the king was unsuccessful. We can't change the mind of God. We can't change the heart of God. He is consistent and never changing. But there is one thing. There is one thing that can happen with God's plan. There is one thing. And to really get an understanding of what I mean by this, we have to go back to the beginning of Numbers in chapter 13. You see, by this time in Numbers, there was a huge census that was already taken. The tribes of God's people were already divided accordingly, and they were getting ready to head into Canaan, the land that God had promised them. But before they do, God tells Moses, Moses, you see that land over there? That's the promised land. That's the land that I have promised you and the people. But before you go over into that land to take hold of it, to take possession of it, what I need you to do is to get 12 spies, one from each tribe, to go in and explore and do some reconnaissance in the place for me. So Moses is like, okay. Moses goes to the people. He relays to them the message. Listen, the land over there, that's the land that God has promised us. That's the land that God wants us to take possession of it. But before we go there, God needs 12. He needs 12 people to go and do reconnaissance. So 12 people raise their hand and they volunteer. They go. They're in the land, you know, tiptoeing, sneakily all over the place, observing, looking, seeing what's around. They're in the land for 40 days. And after 40 days, they come back, every single one of them. And when they come back, they give a conflicting report. They all agreed, all of them, all 12 of them agreed that the land was overflowing with milk and honey. It was abundant in resources. The land was beautiful and amazing. It was awesome. They all agreed on that. There was no debate there. But that's the only thing that they agreed on. Because after that, only two people, Joshua and Caleb, gave favorable reports. Caleb, being one of them, he said this in Numbers 13.30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb had confidence. He he oozes confidence in this verse. We can certainly do it. I wonder what he's thinking about. Is he thinking about himself and how strong he is? Or is he thinking about the promise that God had given him? We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the other 10, the other 10, look at what they said. The verse right after Caleb spoke in Numbers 13, 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said that, they said, the land that we explored devours those people who are living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Out of both reports, which one do you think the Israelites listened to more? They listened to the reports of the ten. The reports spread like wildfire throughout the camp. It goes on to say this in Numbers 14. That night, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They were crying. 
They're like, oh my, why are we put in such a situation? The whole entire report spread throughout the entire... And listen, if you, if you take a look, if you read the beginning of Numbers, there's, oh, there's well over a whole... But there, there, there's like a city there. There's like millions of people that are there. And all of them sided with the 10. The report of the 10 sparked fear into the people of Israel. Not only that, but it also sparked doubt. Doubt in what? Doubt in the plan of God. So much so that the people grumbled and complained to Moses and Aaron saying, why didn't we just die in Egypt? Why didn't you just leave us die? Matter of fact, better yet, go a step further. Why didn't you just leave us die in the desert? But no, you brought us all the way over here to be slain by these people who are giants to be devoured by them. Why is God bringing me to such a place? We had it better in Egypt. We had it better in the desert. As you can see, the reaction is based off of what they were seeing in the present. Their fear led them to doubt. And that doubt led to, whether they knew it or not, it led to reluctancy. They no longer wanted to be a part of what God was doing. So much so that they cried back to be in Egypt or in the desert rather than be where they were at that point. And a lot of times, a lot of times, if we're not careful, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, our reactions based off of what we see can do the same thing. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes God reveals something to us. For God, he's given us a very small detail of the bigger picture. But for us, because our minds are kind of not as, not as, you know, as big as God's, for us, the small that he shows us is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. God's small detail for us in our lives is a huge thing. And sometimes we may say to ourselves, because of our frame of thinking, I'm not sure if you ever said this before, but sometimes we say things like this. Well, God, how is that supposed to happen? How is that supposed to happen, God? God, that's crazy. I don't even know how to go about doing something like that. That seems like a huge monumental task to accomplish, Lord. God, you want me to do what? Pause. That's crazy. Now I know what you're talking about. Jesus, you want me to go where? You want me to speak to who? You want me to preach to what nation? You want me to step outside of my comfort zone, transfer out of the school? What, Lord, what are you saying here? This is crazy. But, but if we let fear in, we can begin to doubt the plan of God. And that doubt can lead to our reluctance to continue in his plan. Remember how I said that there was one thing that can happen with God's plan? This is it. You can choose to not be a part of it. You have free will. I have free will. You can actively choose to not be a part of God's plan. To be clear, though, just to be very, very clear, that doesn't mean that God's plan isn't going to happen. It just means that you're not going to be a part of it. And in the case of the Israelites, because of their doubt, because of their fear, and because of their reluctancy to continue on, you know what God did? God 
sent them away until that whole entire generation of unbelievers would pass away and a new generation that was ready to carry out God's plan was brought up. Don't be a generation that misses God's plan. Don't be a generation that misses out on God's plan. God would only spare two people from that generation. Joshua and Caleb. And as I was reading, I couldn't wrap my head around, well, why Caleb? I mean, I know Joshua. Joshua was the right-hand man of Moses. Joshua was a person that Moses had laid, that that all they had laid hands on him. They they knew he was up and coming. He was the leader that was going to replace Moses. Him, I get, but Caleb, I couldn't until I got my answer in Numbers 14, 24. It says this, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb had a different spirit. He didn't have a spirit of fear. He didn't have a spirit of doubt. He he wasn't reluctant. In fact, he was the only one that spoke out in favor of doing what God wanted him to do or what God wanted them to do as a nation. Caleb had a different spirit. He had the Holy Spirit. And because he did, he was able to recognize something that the other 10 failed to recognize. This is God's plan. This is God's plan. In the midst of it all, where they saw giants, where they saw the land devouring people, where they saw everything, Caleb didn't see any of that. Caleb saw victory. Caleb saw that God was giving them favor. He was able to see how God would give them strength. He was able to see things differently than the other 10. You see, the other 10, they were dwelling in the present of their circumstances But Caleb was dwelling in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to this. If you're dwelling in the present instead of dwelling in his presence, you won't be able to see it. You won't be able to see it. If you're dwelling in the present and not dwelling in his presence, you won't be able to see it. If you're dwelling in your present circumstances, if you're dwelling in your present problems, if you're dwelling on the hardships that life has come down on you with, if you're dwelling in the present of those things, it it can become very difficult for you to see God's plan. It can. Your focus is not in the right spot. Your focus is on, I heard this thing a very long time ago. I forgot who said it. It said that your worry worships the words of the enemy. Your worry worships the words of the enemy. It doesn't worship Christ. You're worshiping what the enemy is doing. But if you are dwelling in his presence, he will show you the way. 
If you are dwelling in his presence, he will guide you. If you are dwelling in his presence, he will strengthen you. He will remind you of his promises. He will lead you. He will protect you. He will show you his unfathomable love. He will show you his unlimited grace and forgiveness. Can I go deeper real second? If you are dwelling in his presence, there are paths that are carved through the mountains that you see before you. If you are dwelling in his presence, there is peace in the middle of the storm. If you are dwelling in his presence, there are doors that are open that no man can shut. Walls and chains are broken in his presence. Generational curses are shattered in the presence of God, but only if we dwell in his presence. In his presence, God's plan is revealed. It is revealed if you dwell in his presence. His plan, the very thing that once it starts moving, there is no wall, no barrier, no barricade that can halt this momentum. The one thing that is completely unstoppable, that can't be prevented, it's inevitable. If you are dwelling in his presence. About 12 years ago, I'm not sure if Pastor Carlos remembers this or not, but about 12 years ago, I got an email from Pastor Carlos. It was him asking me if I wanted to be a director of one of the new bridges I was going to start that year. I'm not sure if you remember that, PC, or not. Um, Unfortunately, though, at that same exact time, my son Josiah was literally just born. He had, like, only maybe two months, uh, uh, two months or so. I was a new dad. I was a new dad. I didn't know anything. My wife, Jen, she was a new mom. We didn't know how to navigate this whole parental, you know, father and mother thing. It was, it was a really new and exciting season. And now I told Pastor Carlos, I was very honored that he would consider me. I was very happy that, you know, he would think of me in such a way. And I was really, really appreciative of it. But I had to say no. I had to. Because of the season that, that was in my life. It was okay. He didn't hate on me. It's fine. We're cool now. Do you think that bridge didn't open up? Do you think that bridge didn't open up? No. That bridge opened up with or without me. Why? Because that bridge was part of God's plan. It was part of God's plan. There were kids there that had to be reached. It was God's plan. There were kids there whose lives had to be impacted because it was God's plan. There was nothing that I could have done that would have stopped that from happening. Nothing can stop God's plan. I have seen God's plan unfold in miraculous ways. I have seen God move through the youth ministry. I have seen God move through the children's ministry. I have seen God move through the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the shepherds feeding the needy, family night. School of discipleship. I have seen God move through his people in this church. I have seen God feed the hungry. I have seen God heal the broken. I have seen God help families. I have seen God go outside of these four walls to reach the lost. I have seen God pray for those that nobody wants to pray for. I have seen God move and do things that are unexplainable in my life and in the life of those who dwell in the presence of God and through Christ fellowship in this church. I have seen God's plan be carried out. 
Why? Because it's God's plan. There's nothing that can stop it. And because there are people who are dwelling in the presence of God, they can see it. Can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see God's plan unraveling in your life? Can you see God's plan be revealed in your life? Can you see God's overarching plan for the city of Elizabeth, for your family, for your family, for your neighborhood, for your children, for you? Can you see it? So I have to ask you this one question before we go. The question is this. Will you choose to be a part of God's plan? Will you choose to be a part of God's plan? Will you choose to dwell in his presence and be a part of what God is doing? To take an active part in seeing that plan, his plan, come to fruition. To not be like the generation of Israelites who missed out because they did. But instead be like Caleb who knew the promise and who knew that it would be fulfilled. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. Will you choose to dwell in his presence this morning and be a part of what God is doing. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, my Lord, for your love, my God. We thank you so much for your revelation, my Lord. We thank you so much that you have given us examples, my God, of what not to be like, my Lord, of who not to be like, my Lord, of who not to imitate, my Lord. But I pray over every single person here right now and watching through the live stream, my God, I pray that they would have a spirit of Caleb, my God, that they, that they would have a spirit of Joshua, my Lord, that they would take inside of themselves, my Lord, the promise of your Holy Spirit, my God, that they would take the promise of your plan, my God, that no matter how big the mountain may seem, my God, no matter how big the obstacle may appear to be, my God, if you said it, my God, if you spoke it, my God, if you declared it, my Lord, it is going to happen. Victory is on the way, my God, because nothing can stop your plan, my Lord. I pray right now, Lord, that if any one of us feel that we are not in it, my God, that we cannot see it, my Lord, I pray a fresh anointing would fall on their lives, my God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch their hearts, my God. I pray, Lord, that they would see what it is that you are trying to do in their lives, my God, that they would realize what your plan is, my God, not just for them, my Lord, but your overarching plan, my God, for the whole entire city, for the world, my God. And I pray, Lord, that when they see it, my God, however little of a detail you may give them, my Lord, that they would say yes to it, my God. That they would say yes without hesitation, my Lord, because your plan is going to happen, my God. 
your victory is going to happen, my God. If you said to them that healing is coming, my Lord, may they believe it, my God. If you said to them that victory is coming, may they believe it, my God. If they think, if you said to them that promotion is coming, my God, that restoration is coming, my Lord, that their lives are going to be better, my God, because you said it, my Lord, let them put their trust, their faith in the fact that you were the one that said it, God, and that it is going to happen, my Lord, because you have declared it, my God. I pray that we would put our trust in that, my God, that you are consistent, that you are never changing, my Lord, that you love us unfathomably, my God, with no limits, my God. May we put our trust in that and not in our own perspective, my Lord. May we dwell in your presence, my God, and not in the present. In Jesus' name, all people, all Jesus' people said, have a great week. Be in his presence. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.